This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Amir Jafari, CFO of Reputation.com, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 655. I mean, for us, for Trip Actions, obviously, we're, as I mentioned, you know, we were and we are deeply impacted by the COVID environment. So I would say it's put uh, a delay right on our on our IPO plans. And again, you know, it's our fundamental belief that uh, people will want to travel again uh, once we get past this pandemic. And we strongly also believe that coming out of the pandemic, you know, the company will be in a much stronger position than what it was before. Right? There's going to be less competition. And uh, as companies get back on traveling, you know, will grow super quickly. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Tom Tushore, CFO of Trip Actions. In a non-COVID world, there's little question the public markets of 2020 would have likely drawn companies like Trip Actions off the sidelines. However, a platform that eases some of the key pain points when it comes to employees booking travel certainly might find Wall Street more welcoming in a post-COVID world. Or so CFO Tom Tushare explains as he highlights some of the unit economics that distinguish Trip Actions offerings and helps us look beyond 2020. Having kept operational costs top of mind during the growth sabbatical, also known as COVID, Trip Actions now expects to enter a post-COVID world with fewer competitors and greater efficiencies. Our talk with CFO Tom Tushare begins after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Tom Tashur, CFO of Trip Actions. Tom, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Tom, uh, as you might know, we always begin our interviews by asking our guests to look back and to identify those experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. What are those that come to mind for you? Yeah, so I would call out three things for me. The, uh, the first one is um, I started my career uh, in uh, investment banking uh, and, um, <clears throat> and then venture capital or the investment world. Um, so, and I think one of the things that sort of came out of, uh, you know, one of the positives that came out of it, it was getting a good grasp of a company's financial profile and its financial statements. Um, but one of the negatives was, you know, I felt like I wasn't really building something um, and wasn't contributing to, to, you know, to a company's, uh, to a company's growth, because as an investment banker, you're an advisor. 
uh, and um, <clears throat> and you don't necessarily build things uh, yourself. So that's one of the reasons I moved to the venture capital world. But then quickly in the VC world, I realized that I was too young, didn't have any operational experience, and who was I to try to give uh, help or advice uh, to entrepreneurs at the time? So I realized quickly that I needed to do something where I would start building and actually starting to do things. Uh, so I would say that was the first realization um, uh, and the first milestone. Um, the second one is I sort of became a CFO by accident. Uh, I, it's not a sort of it's not a career path that I picked. Uh, I was working at a company called uh, Talent, and I had joined that company as Corp Dev, and. Uh, and uh, more in charge of acquisitions, key strategic partnerships, strategic uh, company positioning. And, um, uh, and we recruited a, what I'll call a professional CFO uh, who stayed with the company for a year. Uh, and, then, uh, we, and then we had to part ways. And, um, and I took over the finance team temporarily uh, until we recruited another professional CFO. And at the time, we couldn't agree on a replacement on the right profile and uh, of the replacement candidate uh, with the board and amongst the uh, amongst the other members of the management team. And I started being that interim CFO uh, for you know initially three months, then six months, then nine months, uh, then a year, uh, and then ultimately, um, you know, the board uh, asked me, "Hey, you seem to be doing a good job with this. Uh, why don't you just stay?" Uh, as the uh, you know as the company CFO, uh, which I did, and uh, and that's how I grew uh, into that role. Um, and then I started you know getting more of the GNA functions. I started getting the HR function, the IT function, the legal function uh, that I started uh, managing as well. Um, so I sort of came into the role by really by accident and not as a willful uh, not as a willful choice. And I think it gave me it, it it forced me to ask a lot of questions and to challenge the role and to reinvent it uh, at uh, at the same time. Wow, Re reinvention, but also uh, the, the call of leadership. I just want to point out, Talon, you were there a little more than eight years, and just to emphasize, only two of those years really were you in the corporate development role, and I imagine the other six. You were the interim, and then you became the CFO, and you took this eventually take this company public. Uh, you had the full CFO experience within that uh, trajectory. What you had was the relationships with the board, and uh, I have to uh, imagine you built important relationships there. They could see that you understood the business. They could see that you had the relationships internally with the finance team, people you uh, grew to know over time, um, despite coming in from sort of the side door. How am I doing? Is that? Yeah, no, that's that's great. And that, and that was going to be my third milestone, Jack, was the IPO at Talent, right? In terms of, uh, because, you know, to, to your point, I had the relationships with a lot of our investors and therefore some of our board members. Uh, a few of them, I brought them in as investors in the company. Uh, from past uh, from past relationships, and uh, um, and also and and that was I think the critical part of it. I knew the company super well um, because I helped grow it. I built uh, teams uh, in the company. Uh, I helped shape its strategy. Uh, so I knew the company super well. I knew the market very well, uh, and I could talk very well about the company to investors. 
Um, so not only I had the relationships, but I also had a lot of knowledge uh, about the company. And, and that was critical because I had a very honest discussion with our board members um, you know, before Talon uh, was going to go public. Uh, but, and I asked my board, I asked the board in terms of, I would completely understand if you would want to bring in somebody that has done this before or that has a more experience than I do, right? Because I was a first time CFO, never CFO of a public company before. Um, and uh, so, you know, you could imagine if I were in, in the board member's shoes, I would think this would be pretty dangerous and pretty risky. Um, you know, this new guy that has never been a CFO and then on top of it, never been CFO of a public company. And we had a very honest discussion with, uh, with the board and with the CEO, uh, obviously, at the time. And essentially, the, you know, the message that came back was we value, your, to your point, Jack, the relationships that you built, as well as your knowledge of the company, much more uh, than your, um, you know, your lack of experience as a public company CFO. And we believe that you'll, you'll be able to grow and learn uh, those skills. And they said, well, we trust you to take the company public, uh, and uh, we trust you that you'll surround yourself with people that uh, will help you, um, and, but we'll keep a close eye. Um, and uh, so that was, the, uh, you know, th that was you know, one of the messages or the message that came out from the board when we had that, uh, when we had that discussion. And, um, and uh, yeah, and the company went public. It was a successful IPO. Uh, and um, and things went on from there. You know, I, I do like this story so much because, uh, you know, so often we hear uh, to uh, get a CFO role, you have to have CFO experience. And how do you get that experience? Well, uh, and here you are. Uh, and again, you weren't necessarily looking for CFO roles. It just sort of comes your way. So yeah, some of our listeners are probably having a, a palm to the forehead moment here. But uh, I want to underscore the growth that this company experienced from the sort of the time you arrive to, to uh, when you leave. What uh, I have to believe it grew quite a bit. Yeah, so I joined in January 2010. Um, the company back then, I think we had about 50, 60 employees. Uh, we were doing uh, on a recognized revenue basis. I think we did about five million uh, of uh, of revenue. I think at the time, from a valuation, it was uh, it was public. I think the company was valued at around 60, uh, 60 million. Uh, again, as a private company. Um, and um, when I left, so again, to your point, eight and a half years later, I think you know the company uh, at the time was about one point five. 1.5 billion of, uh, of value. I think we had about 1,200 employees. Uh, revenue, I think we were doing about 160, uh, 170 uh, million dollars of revenue. So it was a very different company, uh, you know, between the time that I joined and the time that I left. And of course, I also had a very different role between the time that I joined and the time that I left. Again, when they were trying to assess whether you're the right person for the job, I have to believe that. Uh, it looked like the company was growing in the right direction and uh, there was a track record being established uh, every year you were there, I would imagine. But uh, let me now ask you about trip actions. And I like to just put this out there straightforward and ask, what is trip actions? What does it do exactly? What are its offerings? Tell us about it. Yeah. So, so trip actions is essentially, um, it's a, tri it's a platform 
that allows the employees of a company to book travel for you know for their business. It allows employees to book uh, hotels, flights, car rentals, rail. Um, uh, in terms of uh, whenever an employee goes on a on a on a business trip, it also uh, provides um, a T and E expense tool, right? So when employees go out and have a business trip and they spend money uh, on uh, on restaurants or taking customers out uh, on the entertainment side of things, it provides also an expense offering, an entertainment expense offering. Uh, <clears throat> so it's a completely, you know, it's a company. Trip Action is completely rebuilt. Uh, the uh, the technology stack uh, to enable that travel booking and also completely rebuilt and reinvented uh, the whole expense uh, the TNE expense uh, offering as well. Um, so we were sort of view us as the next generation of uh, of a TNE platform uh, for for a company's business trips. And what uh, you know what does it do differently? Okay, so there are other TNE platforms out there. Uh, but there's something innovative here. What would you tell us that, you know, trip actions trying to, here's our advantage. This is what it is. What, what would that be? The, uh, I would say ultimately the advantage of the company is really its focus on users uh, and, and on the traveler as well as on the T&E expense user. The company sort of reinvented, you know, the experience uh, of, a, of a traveler in terms of how he books his flight, how he, he or she booked their flights in terms of uh, the user interface. So there's a mobile app uh, as well as obviously a web-based uh, app. Um, and that whole interface has been completely rethought uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, how, again, a, a traveler books trip, but also how he, is, how he or she is supported uh, when, uh, when they travel. So the whole travel support is done via chat. Uh, <clears throat> it can also be done by phone, but it's done essentially via chat uh, and um, available 24/7. Uh, so it's even available, you know, when you're on your uh, when you're on your flight uh, through uh, you know through uh, through uh, Wi-Fi and internet access. And it's as if you had a travel agent in your pocket with a mobile phone, right? So having that awesome user experience, that users really they really love the product essentially leads to a high degree of adoption of the tool, right? So uh, meaning that employees, when they book their travel, they'll use the tool to book their travel as opposed to booking their, uh, their travel outside of the company decided tool. Um, and you see that a lot with the legacy solutions that exist today, where you have a lot of employees, right? That will book their trips outside of the company's uh, defined or, or standard tool. And um, so having a, use, having a tool that users love yields to super high adoption, which leads to great visibility and controls for the finance team, right? So, uh, and that greater visibility and control leads to a lot of cost savings um, and, uh, and uh, also a better experience, right? For the finance uh, and travel manager users, right? So, uh, um, so overall, I mean, uh, as, as, as again, as a finance leader, it's very rare that you have the opportunity to roll out a tool that both users love and at the same time saves company money. Usually when you roll out something that saves company money, it's always associated, you know, users hate it. Uh, and, uh, and here as a finance, you know, as a head of finance person, you, you roll out a tool that travelers really love using um, and at the same time saves company money right? uh, and real dollars. Right. So uh, it's not, uh, uh, you know, it's, we're not talking about like one or two percent. It's real uh, travel savings on 
on a, you know on a line item in a company's ex, you know income statement that's very substantial right T E expense uh, for most companies is uh, is a very very substantial uh, line item in their in their overall expenses. So what you're telling me is something like a, a given company uh, in the finance department when they look at uh, the percentage that travels regularly, uh, how many of them are really using uh, the tools that we supply them to book their travel and really leverage and use it. Uh, and what's surprising is there's always a fair percentage that is trying to go around it or not use it. If you were to get rid of that percentage, there'd be far less risk, one would imagine, of expenses not being tracked properly, uh, among other things. Uh, plus, the company would uh, would have uh, deeper lines of sight into more of their travelers, one would imagine. Anyway, how am I doing? No, that that's great. I mean, uh, that's great. Yeah, typically, I mean, uh, just to put some numbers around that, right? So typically, um, um, uh, you know, a company that does not use TripAction and that uses one of the legacy vendors out there will get about 30 to 40% of their travel, uh, of employees booking their travel will be done outside of uh, outside of the tool, outside of the platform tool. With TripActions, we get close to like 96, 97%. Uh, adoption, right? So, uh, and once you have that visibility, right, in terms of you know which properties or which hotel properties your employees are staying at, so therefore you can see those, uh, you can negotiate and better negotiate with those hotel hotel properties in terms of uh, additional savings. Uh, you, to your point before, you know where your travelers are, right, because uh, they booked on the platform, so therefore you know you have a real time view of uh, of where and where the, which hotel they're staying at, which flights they're on. Uh, so that's um, obviously great from an employee safety uh, perspective. So there's a huge amount of benefits, right, that you get from that high adoption. And that's all driven by a great product that users love, right? It's very simple. So we always like to discover how our guests are extending their lines of sight into their businesses. And uh, we, we ask the question this way, what are some of the business dynamics then that you're seeking to better expose and measure uh, in the finance department? Now, I'll give you some timing or we'll give, share some timing here. You arrive at the end of last year uh 2019 and of course 2020 has been a pretty remarkable year but one would believe this company more than many others given its focus on corporate travel has certainly uh felt the bite of uh the pandemic uh but let let me just ask you about your lines of sight and uh the response here yeah so you know clearly i mean so to your to your point jack right we're you know covid had a now, COVID, you know, the global pandemic associated with COVID uh, had a, an impact on a lot of countries' uh, economy, and and for those in the travel industry, even more so, right? So, uh, and uh, trip actions being in the travel industry, you know, we're sort of uh, you know at the eye of the storm uh, in terms of uh, in terms of impact on the company. So it does change a bit some of the metrics that we track, right? Or there are some metrics that become more important uh, than when you're in a uh, in a normal environment. So I would say, that, you know, the um, the in a normal environment, the metrics that I really focus on, um, you know, one of them is you know sales rep productivity, and that's usually in terms of uh, you know every sales rep has a quota uh, that's uh, given to them, and then having an understanding of how well uh, they're achieving uh, that uh, that quota, uh, as well as understanding the cost 
of the infrastructure that's required to make that sales rep successful in terms of sales management, sales ops, marketing spend. Um, so the whole notion of sales and marketing productivity is super important. And it's often referred to as unit economics by investors. So making sure that that uh, is, uh, is, uh, uh, is very well understood and, and easily trackable uh, to me is, uh, is, uh, is critical. Um, <clears throat> other, um, you know, other metrics that we track and that are, I think that are, um, unique to trip actions is we have this notion of, uh, travel budget under management, um, which is essentially, you know, the travel spend, obviously in a non COVID world of what our customers will flow through our travel platform, uh, our travel and expense platform. Um, and we call that T-BUM, right? Travel budget under management. <clears throat> and today, the you know the company manages about three billion uh, of uh, of T-BUM again in a non-COVID uh, environment. So that gives us an indication of uh, of the company's potential with its existing customer base uh, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the size of travel spend that we manage, and uh, and how that grows and evolves. Um, in a COVID world. In a COVID world, uh, there's two metrics that we pay very close attention to. Uh, one is travel bookings, right? So uh, uh, it's the uh, value as well as the volume of you know flights that a customer will will book, uh, hotels, car rentals, uh, and we track that on a weekly basis. We we actually track it on a daily basis, but uh, uh, um, and how that evolves, right? So uh, for example, in the COVID. In a COVID environment, um, knowing that we have, you know, I would say a vast majority of our customers are from North America, uh, we saw travel from our customers sort of nosedive in the, uh, you know, at the uh, end of February, beginning of March timeframe. And we hit a bottom at the end of April, beginning of May from a travel bookings perspective. And then ever since the beginning of May, it's been increasing uh, at varying rates, uh, but, it's been, uh, but it's been increasing. Uh, and it's accelerated since Labor Day, uh, I would say, since early September, uh, beginning of September. The um, so travel bookings in a COVID environment is also something that we keep a very close eye on. And then finally, it's cash flow uh, as well. You know, we look at cash flow because, again, in being at the eye of the storm, uh, one of the things that's critical for you know for us is making sure that. Uh, that a we're efficient with our spend, but also that we have enough cash right to 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 weather the storm. So that's something that we track on a monthly, well, almost on a daily and then a, on a monthly basis. Now, is the uh, the company is currently privately owned? Is that correct? Correct. Yes, we're backed by venture capitalists and private equity funds. Okay, and uh, it's um it's capital structure. I mean, this company is fairly well established. Can you? Uh, how many employees today? I know you've got. Quite a few on LinkedIn, but I'm wondering how big it is. <laughs> yeah, so today, so today we have approximately 750 employees. Uh, um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah, and to your point, Jack, I mean the company's raised a substantial amount of funding. Right? We've raised a total of uh, of about 600 million of uh, equity or quasi-equity funding, uh, and that's from investors right that are very well known, such as uh, Andreessen Horowitz, Lightspeed. Uh, Zev Ventures and uh, Group 11, but also more private equity and late stage uh, funds such as Green Oaks Capital and, uh, and Vista Credit, uh, which is part of the Vista uh, group of funds. 
Um, and uh, yeah, and we've been able to raise as well some funding in the middle of the pandemic, right? Uh, we raised 125 million in June. And I think that's a testament, right? To the company's differentiation and, and growth potential uh, in, um, in, uh, in the COVID environment. So just given that the size this company is today and the, and the timing of you being hired back in 2019, one would think that, okay, this is the, the CFO who can take this company public, given your past experience. Uh, but ha- <laughs> that's sort of the chapter uh, that one would have expected to, it would be opening. Uh, but given COVID, maybe not. What would, what would you tell us? Yeah, no, no. I mean, I was the company's first CFO, right? Um, in terms of, uh, and I was, yeah, no, I don't think it's been a, I don't think it was a secret uh, based on my past experience. Um, you know, one of the objectives that, uh, you know, Ariel, the CEO, as well as uh, the board had was to, you know, was, is, and it still is, right? Just to take the company public um, and to build a large, independent, um, you know, successful uh uh, company in 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 our in our industry, um, so yeah, so that's one of the reasons I would say it's one of the reasons that I was uh, you know that I was brought in at Trip Actions for sure. Does the current environment and again we've seen IPOs in the current environment and there does seem Wall Street seems to be warming up to them. Are you uh, uh, what do you think of the current environment? Yeah, no. So I think the markets right now are 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 very welcoming. Right, if we look at the you know, companies that have gone out over the last. You know, three four months. I think the markets today are very welcoming for you know for uh, for tech IPOs. I mean, for us for Trip Actions, obviously, we're as I mentioned, you know, we were and we are deeply impacted by the COVID environment. Um, so it's um, I would say it's put uh, a delay right on our on our uh, on our IPO plans. Um, and again, you know, it's our fundamental belief that uh, people will want to travel again uh, once we get past this pandemic. And um, uh, and if you and, and we strongly believe that, and we strongly also believe that coming out of the pandemic, you know, the company will be in a much stronger position than what it was before. Right? There's going to be less competition uh, than uh, you know, as you know, as the pandemic is also you know shaking out. I'd say some of the uh, you know some of the uh, perhaps the weaker players. Um, and, um, you know, and coming out of COVID, I think we'll be in a much stronger position. Um, and uh, as companies get back on traveling, uh, the company will, you know, will grow, grow, you know, will grow super quickly. Uh, so now, not unlike many other companies, you have this laser focus on costs and efficiency. And, uh, that wasn't the case last year. Uh, before we were in a hyper growth environment and typically when you're in a hyper growth environment, you know, you tend to, you don't optimize for efficiency uh, because you can't, right? It's you're you're optimizing for growth. Obviously, you're you're making sure that you're as efficient as possible uh, in terms of uh, in terms of how you're investing in your growth. Um, but it's not the key driver, right? Uh, your key driver is growth, and you want to remain as efficient as possible. But you're you're there to sustain uh, and to invest in the in the company's future growth because you believe there's a huge potential uh, or a huge market size that you want to capture, uh, and that's the primary driver of uh, of investment. Um, <clears throat> in uh, in, uh, in in the current COVID environment, we have more time, right? Because we're obviously not in a hyper growth environment. We're not recruiting at the same rate as we were before. 
So, uh, so yeah, so you make sure that, you know, you build your training plans in terms of how you onboard people properly. Uh, you uh, revisit uh, your processes, you implement systems uh, that will enable you to scale more efficiently um, uh, when you get back to growth. So there's a lot of investments that we're doing that are foundational to some extent, and that will enable the company to scale better uh, when we, uh, when we uh, get back to, uh, to a growth environment. Okay. Well, we want to, uh, we always like to ask for a finance strategic moment, Tom, and this could happen anytime during the course of your career. And what we're looking to do is have finance leaders reveal how uh, finance plays a strategic role, really. And uh, your lines of sight allowed you to see something in the past, an opportunity and a risk. And we know you've had hundreds of these. We're just asking for one. Uh, when we ask for a finance strategic moment, what comes to mind? Yeah, for, for me, I think, again, I view finance uh, as an enabling function uh, to the rest to the rest of the company. Uh, so the finance strategic moment, I would say, is the um, is um, is one, especially in a hyper growth environment. Um, it's it's one where when you're planning. Uh, and you're asking every function, whether it's sales, marketing, customer support, R&D, uh, to come together, uh, and each of the function leads to come together and to uh, align on priorities, right? And um, so, um, uh, and you typically do that when you're planning for uh, the quarter or you're planning for the you know for the year in terms of uh, in terms of budget. Um, and it's even more important in a hyper growth environment because a lot of tensions arise, right? When you've got, for example, a sales function that's growing faster uh, and winning new customers faster than what the customer support function can handle, right? So the sales team will win new customers, uh, but if the support team can't handle, you know, some of the uh, new customers that are coming on board, it creates a lot of tension between those two functions. So in a hyper growth environment, the challenge is making sure that everyone's growing uh, at approximately uh, the same at the same pace, um, and again, the way that I you know that I've done that in the past is through these planning sessions. And uh, so, for example, it's very basic, right? But it could be as simple as you know the sales team will decide that this year or this quarter they want to expand into France, Germany, and Italy, right, uh, as countries of uh, countries that they want to expand into. In order to expand in those countries. You're going to have to align resources from the legal team because you're going to have to set up legal legal entities. You're going to have to uh, set up, uh, you know, payroll and benefits uh, for those countries. You're going to have to make sure that you can bring, you know, that you can recruit in those countries. So it's going to impact the recruiting team. So again, that alignment in terms of all right, sales, please tell us which countries uh, you are going to prioritize uh, this year, allows all of the other functions uh, to. Make sure that they're resourced and uh, and uh, and have the same uh, priority. So I would say our planning cycles is to me is uh, you know is a key sort of a strategic or finance strategic uh, moment, right? And I and we saw that at Snowflake, and we're we're seeing it here at uh, at, uh, at Trip Actions, and I saw it at Talent as well. And those planning uh, moments, uh, you know, I have this image in my head that those are conference room moments are they are, are they virtual or maybe they're today they're virtual but 
Yeah, no, they're. Uh, I would say they're more typically done at the, um, you know, at the start of our annual planning cycle, uh, and those are physical. Uh, apart from now, obviously, uh, and those are more physical moments uh, in the sense that you bring together a lot of the leads or the func what I'll call the function leads, um, and um, and typically. So as you described, legal, uh, recruiting, uh, all these areas that are required if you're going to expand. Yeah. So you start with sales. I would say it's your go-to-market functions, right? So it's your sales, your marketing, your R&D, um, sales, marketing, R&D, um, customer success and customer support uh, functions, um, and, uh, and then your GNA functions, right? Finance, IT, legal, uh, people, or HR. And it sort of let's all get smart together if we're going to grow in this area or if this is where sales believes the opportunities are, you know, how would it? Yeah, so, t so typically the way that it runs, right, is that you've got your sales and it's usually, and when I say it's driven by sales, right, because usually there's a target in terms of, uh, in terms of we're trying to achieve a certain growth number or a certain um, bookings uh, or, uh, or uh, AR uh, number. Um, and the sales team then will come up together, will come with a plan in terms of, hey, I need to have, in order for me to hit that number, uh, I need to be able, I need to be able to, A, to expand in these many countries. I need to be able to recruit these many sales reps. Uh, and, um, and I need to have this type of product uh, offering uh, in order to, you know, successful, uh, su 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 successfully sell it. And then that trickles down, right? So that's why it usually starts with sales. Uh, and then that trickles down into all of the other functions, right? In terms of, uh, it trickles down into, okay, marketing, uh, how much, you know, pipelines you need to generate, how much programs do you need to, uh, to put together? Um, and it tr also trickles down to the product organization in terms of, uh, a, if we're trying to reach, let's say a different category of customer, we need to have a certain feature set, let's say for enterprise customers. Uh, so we're gonna prioritize that type of investment. Um, and that also trickles down to the people or the HR team in terms of uh, recruiting. So you start with, I want to say the go-to-market functions and that trickles down across the rest of the organization, typically. So that, that trickle down in some ways, finance, your finance strategic moment is sort of this trickle down, this education that all the other groups, uh, achieve or experience as, uh, you know, they communicate with each other and educate the leads of each each of these functions or areas. Yeah. So it's I want to say it's number one, organizing and putting every one of those function leads in the same room, making sure that they understand what the plan is. Right. So it's as sometimes as basic as that uh, in terms of, hey, these are our priorities. Uh, this is what the sales team is, uh, you know, is and that we're agreeing on. This is what the sales team would like to achieve in terms of uh, in terms of overall growth and target. And then how do we make that successful and how do we make that happen? Um, so, and it's making sure that everyone aligns on that. So that alignment, achieving that alignment determines whether annual planning is going to succeed or fail. And to achieve that alignment is really a, a leadership task. Yeah. No, yeah, it is. And it's a strategic one as well, right? Because you've got to align, you know, you've got to align then your investments with those priorities. Um, and all functions have to do that. And then, so I said that's you get everyone physically together in a room uh, and then it requires a certain amount of discipline as well. Right. Because uh, if you've agreed on a certain set of countries, for example, that the sales team is going to expand into, they can't come up, you know, midstream and say, hey, uh, forget France, Germany and Italy. Now I want to do Spain. 
Sweden and Norway instead, right? Because all of the other functions have already aligned resources to focus on some of the, you know, some of those initial countries. Um, so there's there's a certain amount of discipline and execution that needs to take place as, uh, as well. And as a finance leader, right, you've got to try to enforce some of that discipline. Doesn't mean that you have to be inflexible, but uh, but uh, you have to have a certain level of discipline. So I, I'm imagining, okay, you have one of these these meetings where you know all leaders on deck type meetings. You you walk out of the meeting, you close the door, you feel confident. Now that went well today. Okay, another experience that you've had. You close the door, that could have gone better. What is it that might have? And, and I know there are 50 reasons it might not have gone well on a particular day. Uh, maybe some of the executives weren't as prepared as they should have been. Maybe there was a surprise that no one was, you know, paying attention to that someone revealed and you had to go back to square one. But often you, if you were to, how would you complete this sentence? Most often it has, when it doesn't go well, it might be because of this. Unexpected surprises. Uh, well, surprises, I guess are unexpected, but, um, yeah, unplanned, uh, surprises. Right. So, uh, um, so yeah, typically I would say uh, it's uh, um, you know there is something that um, wasn't thought through completely enough, uh, and therefore it sort of puts into question the whole plan. Uh, so I would say it's it's got to be a significant uh, a significant surprise. Uh, and to your point before, it's perhaps it's due to lack of preparation then if you had that surprise. When we return, CFO Tom Tushore enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hello, we're back with Tom Tushur, and we've entered the mentoring round. Tom, we want you to look back again for us and think about the first time all of that CFO responsibility fell on your shoulders. Uh, if you could go back uh, in time and offer yourself some advice, what would it be that first week, that first quarter you were a CFO? Yeah, I would say be paranoid, <laughs> right? That's good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, uh, Andy Grove. Uh, that's... Uh, no, but it's more in terms of uh, always question yourself, right? In terms of, uh, and, and by being paranoid, right? It's making sure that, you know, the small details are covered, uh, making sure that you've asked all the questions because you weren't sure uh, that you needed to. Um, it's just being ready, right? So, and that's what I mean by being paranoid, right? Is, uh, is uh you know follow up and um and um and uh yeah make sure you've covered uh and your team right has covered uh every every detail um yeah so uh, it's um but again i would you know i wouldn't i think it, it's up to everyone's personalities right and uh 
Um, but uh, I would say, you know, making sure that you pay attention to details and, uh, and that your team pays to the same level of attention of details as you uh, and, um, and that you're tracking anything that's unplanned or, or surprises that, you know, that, that may happen. Um, We'd like to ask our guests uh, to reflect a little bit on the personal side and tell us if there's a habit or part of a daily routine that they have that they think has contributed in some way to their professional success. And this might be something you do out of the office, or this is just something you just do every, every part of your, your world, both personal and professional. Anything come to mind? Yeah. So it's having time for yourself uh, where you're not disturbed. I would say, you know, I try to find an hour, um, you know, an hour to an hour and a half where, um, you know, I can focus on, uh, on, uh, you know, usually it's for me personally, it's very early in the morning, uh, where um, I'll do something physical, uh, in terms of exercise, but it'll allow me right to, to a manage my stress, but B more importantly, focus on the day uh, and focus on what I want to accomplish for that day. Um, and, uh, and also think about some strategic uh, topics, uh, in an undisturbed uh, way, right? So, because today I, I find it so hard uh, to find time for yourself where you know you're not uh, disturbed by phone calls, alerts, um, uh, text messages. I mean, uh, so it, again, it's finding and isolating uh, yourself, you know, for you know, for I'd say for you know, for an hour uh, that allows you to reflect on the day as well as uh, as well as uh, uh, use that time to think about some of the tough discussions that you may need to do during that day. Uh, or some of the uh, strategic topics or strategic directions that you need to, you know, that you need to take uh, for that day as well. We also like to ask for a uh, book selection. Any any book, or it doesn't have to be a business book, but w- what would come to mind uh, if we asked you for a book selection? Yeah, so I like to read biographies uh, of uh, of um, you know people that have impacted uh, history or 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 the world. And one that I read recently that I really enjoyed was um, was the one on Elon Musk uh, by Ashley Vance. So, um, uh, so yeah, no, so I would strongly recommend it. I mean, it's it just shows in terms of some of the challenges that he had to deal with, some of the investment choices that he made, and uh, and how you know how much perseverance he had to he had to have. Uh, Great, great choice. We haven't, I think we might've had it once before, but you've reminded me, I've been meaning to take a look at it myself. So thank you for that. We're up to our final question, Tom, where we ask you to look forward finally. And we know this is challenging uh, given uh, this environment we're all part of now. Uh, But as you look forward over the next 12 months, what are your priorities? Yeah, so uh, my priorities, I mean, uh, they're, really making sure that the company is ready coming out of uh, the COVID environment. And by being ready, I mean that, uh, you know, the company has, uh, you know, is, um, is ready to recruit again, uh, is ready to onboard people, uh, is, uh, knows what the priorities are in terms of, uh, in terms of where we want to expand and where we want to invest in. Uh, and at the same time, uh, on a short-term basis, is making sure that the team is, uh, you know, is motivated, right? And uh, and that the team uh, enjoys what they're doing, and that uh, and that they're safe, especially in the current environment that we're in, and that they're still 
you know, a strong uh, belief in the company's potential and making sure that that motivation, again, is, uh, is, uh, is still there. Because I think once, you know, from a priority perspective, in terms of if you have a team that's highly motivated, uh, that works well together, um, and, uh, and that believes in the company's potential, you can accomplish anything. Uh, and um, so a combination of that, plus a combination of, uh, hey, this is what we want to do in terms of priorities, uh, I think is, uh, I mean, that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm focusing on right now. Tom Tushir, thank you for joining us on CFO Fault Leader. Thanks, Jack. It was awesome to be here. Thank you so much for the time. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.